Well, hey, good morning and welcome to North Stars. Larry just said, my name is Sellers and I get to serve as the college pastor. Man, I love our Tuesday nights here at Wave, but Sundays are the day that I get most excited for being with the entire body of believers. And today is gonna be a good one. Go ahead and open your Bible to James chapter one. James chapter one. As we continue in our series, Under Pressure, where um, we'll be in the book of James for a little bit, but over these first few weeks in particular, we've been looking at the internal pressures we have in our life. Again, we started by talking about the trials that we face, the temptations that we face. We continue through the series thinking through internally how we have struggles of our mind, of our heart, of our flesh, and that we have to align, align those with God's word. So we, we lean in and we continue in the book of James today. But hey, as you're flipping there, let me give you a round of applause today. You look, you have made it yesterday was the first day of fall. Wow, you guys, incredible job. Look, I busted out a flannel to celebrate the occasion. Some of our ladies today probably stopped by Starbucks to refill their pumpkin spice IV. Um, and the guys in the room, look, you've already, you heard fall and you've tuned me out because you're already thinking, how many nights can I break out the fire pit this week? Fall's an exciting time, even though it's still gonna be like 95 till December. It's a great, incredible time and a fun season and it's interesting, as I was thinking back about the fall and all that it has, some of my best memories are found around a fire, a campfire, a fire pit, a bonfire. But a lot of my favorite memories are when I get around people that I love being around, and there's something about 600 degrees of heat that just opens you up. I don't know what's spiritual about a fire, but it does something where you open up in levels that you don't typically do around a couch or around a table as quite as often. And it's interesting as I began to think through that, why do we have this like awareness or openness around um, such a, a dangerous thing? I mean, 600 degrees, like that's not good for you. And we can feel the weight of that in some other ways, right? Like if we think back to Hawaii these past couple of months and all that they're dealing with, Again, maybe for you personally or one of your best friends or family members, maybe they've had the devastation of a fire felt when it took their home. Again, what's really fun to sit around with s'mores and marshmallows and all these things can also be incredibly devastating in our life. So how do we find the balance? What's the difference between a, a fire pit and a house fire? The, the difference is boundaries. Again, for me, like we don't, I'm, I'm not trying to go back in and out of the house too much. I'm putting the fire pit as close to the house as possible and trusting that the metal ring that I put the fire in will keep it contained. Today, before we jump into the book of James and begin to wrestle with what this looks like for us, I want to mention to you what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter three. He said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But if we're honest and go down the street and take a poll of people that don't believe in Jesus, hey, what do you think about Christianity? Rarely the word that comes to their mind is freedom. Paul says the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. People in our world today would say, no, 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 that's restriction. Like you have to go to church, you have to tithe, you have to be a better person. So today we wrestle almost honestly with the tension that we face of there's a fire and there's boundaries. In the same way for us, the Lord has created us for incredible things within boundaries. Not to be restrictive, but to give you life and life to the fullest. Today, I want to begin to put on the front of your mind, how does Jesus make our daily life different? And I want you to cling to that picture of the fire pit. We'll come back to it in a little bit. My goal this morning is this, that you would walk out in freedom, living the life that God has designed you to live. 
James chapter one, if you would, let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. James one, I'll start in verse 19. Again, ultimately, we're standing on the promises of God and his faithfulness to us today, in the past, and forevermore. James 1, 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looked into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray together this morning. God, today we step into a passage written thousands of years ago for a specific group of believers at that time that James was directing this to. But God, there are implications still for our life today. And God, even as we lean in, maybe this passage uh, seems a little too close to home in some areas. Um, God, I pray that you would begin to do a new work in us. God, you would soften maybe some of the edges that we have. Um, God, you would form us to look more like yourself. God, today I pray ultimately that as we search your word, that you would in turn search our hearts. God, we would look more like you when we walk out of this room. Thank you for being all that you are. God, to you, your name is the glory. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for standing this morning. So quick context, again, if this is your first week with us, I wanna kinda catch you up a little bit on the history of James. So James, the, the writer of this letter, is the half-brother of Jesus. So all of his life, he has grown up around the Savior of the world. He's seen the Messiah. I mean, he saw him turn water into wine. He saw him do healings and miracles. He saw all of these things, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and you might be like, that's crazy. Like, he saw miracles. Like, I don't know how your family is. I got two brothers. If either of them came up to me and said, hey, look, I got news for you. I'm the savior of the world. I'd be like, dog, I don't trust you to help me clean my room. Like, you, you think I'm trusting that you're gonna save me from something? And James was the same way. He saw tangible acts of God, and nothing in his life was changed until the resurrection. Until James saw Jesus ascend from death, walk this earth after being hung on a cross, until that moment he did not believe, but the resurrection changed everything. So when we read a book like James, it's almost as if we could read every single verse, like because of Jesus, we can do these things. Because of Jesus, we can have this thought. Because of Jesus, we are able to process life this way. So today, our, we have three simple points, and they're all gonna start that way because of the resurrection and what we believe as followers of Jesus. So point number one, because of Jesus, we are free from self. Because of Jesus, we are free from self. And we see that clearly laid out in verses 19 to 21, this first section of the passage. James starts off by saying two big words, know this, so he's saying, pay attention, this next thing is important. But if your Bible's like mine, again, translations vary a little bit. My ESV translation has a colon between know this and what they should know. 
But it's interesting, James doesn't just say, know this, do this. He actually starts with this phrase in between before he gets to what he wants to address. He says, beloved brothers. The reason James does that is because James wants to remind his readers of their identity before addressing their activity. Again, catch that. James wants to remind you of your identity before addressing your activity. So for you, how do you begin to process who you are? Like the world today would tell us our activity informs our identity, right? Like if I go to school for seven years and take care of people who are sick, activity, I am a doctor, identity. If I choose not to eat meat, activity, I am a vegetarian, identity. If I cheer for the Florida Gators, activity, I am crazy, identity, I'm just kidding. Look, hey, let's be honest. Look, we love our Florida Gators here. They need Jesus, especially in this season. Uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But let's be real, right? Like, the world would tell you your activity determines who you are, but James says that is the furthest thing from the truth, that your identity informs the activities that you do, the actions that you have. If you get the identity piece right, your activity begins to change, so today, if you've believed in Jesus, let me remind you of your identity. Son, daughter, brother, sister, beloved, deeply loved by the Father, that is who you are. And now because of this, we get to step into the next part. If this is true of you, then you would be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Whew. Really easy to read a lot more difficult to practice, am I right? Like this is a, a verse probably most of us know or have at least heard, maybe we don't have it memorized, but like we've heard be slow to anger, those different things. But typically throughout your week, you're probably not calling back to this in the moment that you feel frustration. So today I wanna remind you, this sermon is for you, like individually, specifically for you, not for your friend, not for your roommate, not for your wife or husband or your kids. James is writing this to you saying, be slow to anger. Why do we get angry so much? Like this world, it just seems to be getting more and more angry. The more you scroll Twitter or X or whatever we call it now, the more that you're just seeing the news. I mean, it's one side or the other. It's a clear line. There's no middle ground. You can't have commonalities. You're either this or you aren't this. And it seems like our world is so divided and we ultimately, we come to this point of like, man, why do I get so angry? If we're honest, if we boil it down, typically we get angry because we don't get our preference or we don't get our way. Like, let's just be honest. I'll use a really safe example. I know that none of you in this room struggle with it. Um, traffic. Uh, look, let's be honest. We live in Atlanta, right? Like, righteous anger is a thing. I believe the Lord has said Atlanta gets some, like, discrepancy there. You get a peach pass, you get righteous anger accounted to your account. Um, I get it. Well, you're going down I-75. You're heading to the game. You're heading to the shop. You're heading to the event, whatever it is. And then that person comes over, and they take my left lane. Like, again, this isn't just me, right? Like, I'm going 85, and you're going 84, and this is my left lane, or again, oh, do you, you cut me off? That inconveniences me. Now, forget the seven people I've cut off to the point of where we are, but you inconvenience me. I've gotta to get to my workplace, so I'm gonna give you some praise hands that the Lord would not allow in, in his house to tell you how I feel. 
Again, we, we feel it, right? This is a tension that all of us get. Like we, we struggle with these things and it's such an easy and tangible way to show it of like, man, somebody inconvenienced me on the road and I get really angry. But then it shows up at your front door at your house. Man, if my friend, if they would just think of it, the, if they saw it the way that I saw it, if my wife or my husband, if, if they would have just done what I had wanted them to do, I mean, I didn't tell them to do it that way, but if they just did it my way, if my kids, if they just listened to every word that I said to a T, man, our life, would, I'd never be angry. I'm, I'm, I'm not an angry person. It's just these other people that make me angry. And I think we begin to get to the root of what James is talking about. Again, it's really easy to look outside yourself and to blame the situation or the circumstance around you, but James has no concern for what's pressing you on the outside. He has concern for who you are on the inside. That's why he says, here you are, beloved son. Now, do these things. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I think there's one part in this verse that I think struck me probably for the first time this week. It's really interesting if you notice quick to listen, slow to speak, that to me sounds like a dialogue is happening. A little bit of back and forth, it's a conversation happening. So for you, I wanna challenge you this week. Again, maybe somebody's made you angry or maybe somebody this upcoming week will make you angry. Are you willing to have a conversation about it with them? Again, typically what I do is I like, I sit on it like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just put it off. And then like four days later, it's like three times as big of a deal as it was in originally. I wonder what the Lord would save us from anger wise if we would have been quick to listen and slow to speak to begin with. Do we need the third command if we have the other two in line? is the question I began to ask this week. If, if I'm quick to hear what the other person has to say, like, hey, here was my viewpoint, sellers. I'm so sorry it came across that way. Let me understand them. Or like, hey, dude, I'm, I'm slow to speak. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to like step up and be like, here's what I meant. And man, I'm gonna get it. Like, I, I meant the email this way or the text this way. But if we were quick to understand what other people had to say and slow to speak our mind or to defend ourself or our preferences, how much less would we have to deal with being slow to anger because it would have been solved in the first two steps? You know, I don't think James accidentally put these things in order. I believe the Lord wanted to show us how he works in us. So for you, maybe the one thing you need today is have the conversation. Like be willing, look, sellers, it's, I don't wanna make it a bigger deal. Well, look, here at North Star, we say it all the time, clarity is kindness, so if you're unclear what their intentions were, if you were unclear the tone they used in the text message or whatever it is, like ask them. Say, hey dude, I might be totally off base. I may have misread this or misunderstood this. Like, what do you mean by this? And they can say, oh dude, that's totally my bad. Or they could say, oh yeah, dude, I was, and then they can come at you a little hot and you're like, okay, I understand, I get you. Or again, maybe for you, you come off a little hot to somebody and they begin to question you and instead of bowing up, you say, man, here's what I meant, I'm so sorry. Like if you took it that way, this is, that was not my intention. I wanna be clear, it would be kind to do that. So my challenge to you is to have the conversation. And why, why again is anger such a big deal? Why does he say quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger? Why is this the case? Well, James in this passage does something really cool where he answers every question you might have. Verse 20, he says, there, or, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we want to be slow to anger because anger does not produce God's righteousness. 
Again, for us, we typically, maybe you want to be kind of like a little on edge or a little angry with life because of the hand you've been dealt. But if we are slow to anger, we are seeking righteousness more than we're seeking anger or vengeance. Again, we're seeking the Lord more than we seek justice and for the situation that we feel wronged within. So that is the, the why it's the case. Then, we, yeah, well, how do we do that? Well, perfect. James answers you again. Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. See, James is telling you to take off your sinful nature and to put on Christ, to read and understand and put into practice his word. Paul in Ephesians chapter four would say it this way, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, because of Christ, you are freed from your self, self-centeredness, selfishness. You could not do that on your own, but because of Christ, you are free from self. Point number two for today. Because of Jesus, we are free from surface level faith. Because of Jesus, we are free from surface level faith. Verse 22 through 25, talk about it. I'm gonna reread it because it's been a moment. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James here says, don't just receive the word. Don't just hear the word. Do something about it. He goes even to the point of like giving an illustration about this person looking into a mirror. And it says to intently look. So like picture your first date, that type of intensity looking in the mirror. So my wife, Hannah, we started dating many, many years ago. And our first date was at an Italian restaurant. And back at that time, I had the like swoopy hair that probably like all your kids had at one point in their life. So I wanted to make sure every single strand of that swoop was perfect, because that's, that's like hit or miss. Like it's second date or not second date if I don't get this right. So I'm intently looking in the mirror, making every strand be exactly how I want it. And imagine I sit down over some chicken parmesan, and I begin to fish for compliments. I'm, I'm trying to feel it out. Does she like me, does she not? And I start to say, man, Hannah, you know, as I think about it, this blue shirt really brings out the blue in my eyes. Oh, we walked outside. Let's take a picture. Hannah, this sunset, it makes the red in my hair just pop off the screen. And she'd be like, wow, this person is clinically insane and never getting a second date because he doesn't have red hair or blue eyes. If I were to study myself in the mirror and walk away believing I had red hair and blue eyes, you would say I'm deceived if you're being nice. You'd say other words if you were not being nice. James here is saying the same thing. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have trusted in him in his life, death, and resurrection, and you read this word, you come to church on Sunday, you listen to the podcast, your life should look different. Don't just hear the word, do the word. Put it into practice. Again, if somebody claimed to have faith in Jesus but did not live like it, We'd say that's a surface level faith. Personally, I would argue that's an oxymoron. That you cannot have surface level and faith in the same sentence. Because if I have died to self and buried my life with Christ, I cannot live on the surface level anymore. It's no longer available. 
So for you, believer in the room, if you have decided to put your full life, to stake your life on Jesus, you have to be a doer of the word. And don't just take James's word for it. Let's take Jesus's word. Matthew chapter seven, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons of all time. Jesus just drops an incredible sermon. Tons of people are listening and he closes it by saying this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. James and James chapter one, Jesus and Matthew chapter seven, they both would argue that we do not have a hearing problem. We have an obedience problem. And that was like thousands of years ago when they said these things. Like they did not have what we have at our fingertips. If you wanted to, you could listen to a sermon twice a day every day. You could listen to the newest podcast about Christian living. You could listen to the four worship albums that are dropped that week. We don't have a hearing problem. We have an obedience problem. God's word is not unclear, but we chase after the things of our own flesh because we want to live a surface level faith. And look, maybe you're like, hey, sellers, man, I'm trying. Like, I'm new to this whole Jesus thing. Like, I'm, I, I got baptized a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, and I just feel overwhelmed. I mean, I look at this book, and it's massive. I don't know all the things in it. I don't know how to follow it well. How can I follow God's word? How can I be a doer of the word? James would ultimately tell us to look in the mirror. Mike, if he were here this morning, would tell us to wake up and lock eyes with Jesus. Again, I've heard it said this way, to do the next right thing. Again, you wake up and you've got a hard moment, like you're feeling temptation, do the next right thing. And then an hour later, whenever you get stuck in that conversation that might or might not be glorifying to God, do the next right thing. Any, any dog fans in the room? We got any Bulldog fans this morning? That was our best showing out of three services, and that's still pretty rough. UAB has you guys struggling today. Yikes. Uh, Kirby Smart, last week, great coach, uh, halftime speech of last week. I cannot quote as a pastor many of Kirby Smart's halftime speeches, but this one, against South Carolina, I can say from the stage. So they were down on South Carolina. Again, a team they should have easily been handling, and he could have come in and said, you guys are embarrassing me. This is the worst. Get your act together. You're a five-star. you got this much scholarship. Put it right. But Kirby, for probably the first time in history, with a calm demeanor, came in and said, hey, look, Here's the plan, guys. Here's how we win this. Here's how we execute the second half. We're gonna go out and we're gonna win the moment. So when you take the field, we're gonna get the kick return and we're gonna get the ball. Don't think about the first drive. Think about the first play. And then think about the next play. And win the moment. For you, believer. Again, new believer, long-time believer. For you, lock eyes with Jesus. Do the next right thing. Win the moment. Whatever resonates with you, do that. And that's how you do the word of the Lord. It's how you follow what Jesus has commanded you. Again, you can lock eyes with Jesus like that. And you might be asking, how do I lock eyes with Jesus? It's, it's right here. James, again, answers our question because he's a great author in verse 25, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty. This book right here is liberation for us. It's where we find the good news of Jesus 
It's where we find how we can walk in our daily life. It's where we find how to live each and every day. So a couple of years ago, my wife Hannah and I, her car was struggling a little bit. We were thinking there might be kids in our future. So we began to upsize her car. So we got a, a brand new car, drove it off the lot. It was awesome, man, new car smell. Like it's no previous owner. It's so nice. And then this crazy thing happened. About six months of us driving it, this orange light popped up on the dashboard and we had to take it back to the dealer. And we're like, all right, this thing just showed up. What's going on? And they're like, well, you gotta take it in for the oil change. We're gonna change your oil. I was like, oil? This is a brand new car. Like what? Okay. And they're like, look, come back in six more months and we're gonna rotate your tires as well. And of course, driving before, we weren't surprised by that. We didn't throw our hands up and be like, you guys gave us a broke car. This thing was supposed to be new. It needs new oil. It needs different tires. It needs the replacement of the filter. Like for us, none of us bat an eye at the maintenance that our car needs because that's how it was designed. Friends, just like your car, you have been designed with the owner's manual in place. You wanna know how you live your daily life? Get into the book. You wanna know how you can live within the boundaries God has created you? Get into the book. You wanna know how to live to the fullest of your abilities? It's right here. James says to look intently into the perfect law of liberty. Friends, this gives us liberty today. It's not restrictive, it's not oppressive, it's not forcing us to do things. God, the creator of who we are, created you individually, knows how you can best thrive in your life, how you were designed to live. And then we get all bent out of shape, like, God, I don't, I don't get what's going on. Well, it's right here. Get in the book, get in the owner's manual. Understand why you are the way that you are. Because the perfect law in this mirror here will show you the parts of yourself that maybe you don't quite realize. Again, this passage here is a passage that's like, man, like anger, I've been struggling with anger, I'm not about it. Well, right here James tells us how to address that. And it can begin to search us in a way that we don't even know ourselves. Typically, when I pray to open a message, I always try and pray this line if I can remember it. God, as we search your word, would you in turn search our hearts? what the Bible gets to do. As you read it, it's ultimately probably reading you more so and speaking life into your bones. The question is, will you get into it? So because of Jesus, we are freed from self. We are freed from surface level faith. And our last point for the morning, because of Jesus, we are free for serving. Again, because of Jesus, we are free for serving. Verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure religion, James would argue, is caring for the vulnerable. And it's like crazy, right? Like if we were to make the list, like James, no, no, no. Pure religion is perfect church attendance. Pure religion is going to four small groups in one week. Pure religion is tithing this much to the church I attend. James says no to all of those things. Good things. But pure religion is caring for those who need to be cared for. 
Here in particular, he mentions the orphan and the widow, but again, we know that God's word is ultimately his heart just written down for us. There's over 2,000 Bible verses that talk about how believers should care for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the immigrants. And look, I'm, I'm not a big politics guy personally. Like, I, I don't really care for it a ton, and we probably have different ideas on how much our government should or shouldn't help people. But God's word makes it incredibly clear. His plan A for helping those in need is not our government. It is his people. So we get to the end of a passage like this. It's like, God, I can get behind anger. I can fix that. God, I can get behind being a doer of the word. I ah, James, you gotta throw these two verses in there. Like now I gotta care for people who are hurting. Sounds really messy. It's God's plan A for us to care for the people who are hurting. I would argue this, I think James would echo this. You cannot claim to have God's heart if you do not care for the vulnerable. And how dare we, again, individually or collectively or whatever this falls, but how dare we ever complain about the care coming in or out of the White House and never actually take inventory of our own house? Like if this is not a house that hurting people can come to, then we have missed the point. We have missed pure religion. If your house is not a house that people can come to, if your small group is not a place that people can come to, if your family does not live with open hands, James would argue that your religion is not pure. So we begin to circle back. Grab your stadium chair, your marshmallows, your stick, and let's sit back down by our campfire. We're, we're sitting around the fire pit and we're wrestling with the question, just like the fire, how can we live the life we were created but also have boundaries around us? Friends, God knows who you are. He has designed you perfectly and his word will show you perfectly how to follow him. Again, the boundaries in our life are not to harm us or to restrict us, but to give us true freedom. Friends, you were not created to walk in sin, but to walk with God. I call all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were not walking in sin. They were walking with God in the garden. So today you have been freed from self. You have been freed from surface level faith and you are now free to serve others well. The question is, will you step up to the call? Will you be a doer of the word? Let's pray together. God, I wanna thank you for today. Um, I wanna thank you for your word, God. Again, the perfect law of liberty, this mirror that begins to search us, God. And again, maybe, maybe today was a, a passage or at least a section that somebody listening did not agree with. Like, oh man, I just, I feel like I can get my anger under wraps. I don't need Jesus for that. Like, hey, I, I feel like I can, you know, hear the word a lot, but like doing it, like I'm gonna like give 90% to God. Or maybe it's that last part that we feel like we've controlled our anger. We've controlled how we can serve the Lord and follow his word that we, we can live in obedience, but we then skip over verses that clearly call us to care for those who are in need. God, whatever you need to do in each person's heart today, would you begin to convict as only your word can do? God, would we as a congregation, as, as small groups, as families, would we begin to look more like you? 
Again, maybe it's having the conversations we talked about. God, I pray that this week there is healing happening within families and groups. Like, hey guys, I've been struggling. I've been messing up here. I need you to hold me accountable. Or dads or moms sitting around the dinner table and saying, hey, son, daughter, I've, I've not been speaking kindly to you and I apologize. Like, I wanna set a better example for you and our family. We've not set a good example in living with open hands. God, would, would you convict our people to have those conversations this week? God, would you ultimately get all the glory for these things? In your name I pray, amen.